One event that I uh, look forward to is Christmas. And as I'm sure we're, we're all aware, Christmas is now incredibly only, it's about six or seven weeks away. So like me, I'm sure that all of you have planned exactly what gifts you're going to be get, getting and, and uh, you've, maybe even you started purchasing them as well. Now, my wife Natasha has sat there looking at me intently, so it's probably worth me confirming that I've done very little else over the last couple of months, but painstakingly and lovingly consider what may be the perfect gift to show her exactly what she means to me. I will not be going out on Christmas Eve to purchase her a gift. But having spent this time searching for a gift for Tash, can you imagine my disappointment if, if, if I give her this gift and she, she opens it up and she makes all the right noises as we all do, oh, this is fantastic. But then she takes the gift, puts it back in the box and then never uses it again. I think it's fair to say that I'd be pretty miffed because when we buy someone a gift, particularly if we buy a gift for somebody that we love, we want to know that that gift is being cherished. We want to know that the person that we've got the gift for really values what we've bought them, don't we? So to have the gift kind of almost dismissed or, or, or ignored, it can be quite hurtful, can't it? That said, the reality is I am not the greatest gift giver in the world. Generally, when I buy somebody a gift, I go to a shop and I think, oh, I like that, I'll buy that for them. But don't worry, this year I've got it covered. Tash will love the Etisalat sports package that I've purchased her <laughs> for 2020. Now, of course, I am joking, but the point that I'm making is true. When I buy someone a gift, my hope is that it's something that, that they'll appreciate. And the same is true of God. When he gives us a gift, he doesn't do so for us to discard it or for us to ignore it. When God gives us a gift, he does it for our good. And of course, the significant difference between me giving Tash a gift and God giving us gifts is that he is the perfect giver of gifts. He never misjudges what we need. So the gift he, always, the gift he gives us should always be cherished. The gifts that he gives us should always be used because we can, see, we can do so safe in the knowledge that they're for our ultimate good. Which is what we're gonna be looking at this morning as we continue on in our series in 1 Corinthians. What is the gift of prophecy and why has God chosen to give it to us? So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, we'll read the first five verses of that chapter. And I believe they should pop up behind me as well. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater 
than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Okay, so this passage, it begins with the two words, pursue love. And of course, this is effectively and and very briefly a summary of the previous passage, chapter 13, that Steve preached on last week. And these words here are a helpful reminder of our first calling in these things. Just to refresh ourselves, to go back to what we looked at last week, the first three verses from chapter 13 are these. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So if we don't pursue love, then no amount of speaking in tongues, prophetic gifts, acts of service will be of any value. So this is very much our starting point. This is our ground zero, pursue love. And all else that follows, spiritual gifts, prophecy, must be pursued out of love. So with this in mind, let's see what Paul says next. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I think it's worth noting here that Paul is not commanding the church to be cautiously open to the vague possibility of spiritual gifts, as we can sometimes be tempted to translate this passage into saying. Rather, he is very clearly and very definitely telling us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. This means we should be eager in our pursuit of them. This means that we should yearn after them. This is a very, very strong way of putting it. I think no matter how you read this, it's, it's a clear instruction from Paul. It's a command, isn't it? Paul isn't leaving any room for interpretation. There's no sense of him giving us an option here, is there? He's not saying, church, if you have lots of creative and artistic types, then spiritual gifts could be for you. He doesn't say, if it fits your local church's worship style, then, or, or, or maybe the personalities of the people within the church, then, then pursue spiritual gifts. He is telling us all to earnestly desire them. And as we read these verses, it's kind of like we're unwrapping gifts from God, isn't it? And it may be that some of us don't like the look of them. We see them and we think, this isn't the gift for me. But as I said a moment ago, he is not giving us a choice to put them back in the box. Because he, of course, knows what we need. So the fact that he has given us these gifts means that we need them. Effectively, he's saying that the exercising of spiritual gifts are essential if we as a church want maximum blessing from him. And I assume that we all want maximum blessing from God. So in the area of spiritual gifts, I think Paul is being 
pretty clear. We're to actively and we're to intentionally seek after them. And not only this, he makes a further distinction when it comes to prophecy. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Which I think raises the obvious question of what does Paul mean when he says prophesy? Well, a very simple definition for prophecy is the communication of an, uh, an utterance or a message from God. But this definition leaves uh, some, uh, some arguing. There's, there's a potential to argue that actually in this case, prophecy is indistinguishable from preaching or teaching from the Bible on the basis that the Bible is God's inspired word and is active and is alive and it speaks to us today. And I would certainly agree with the second half of this statement. The scriptures that we've been given are not just God spoken, they are very much God speaking. The, 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 the words that we read in the Bible are as relevant and real and alive today as they are the moment that they were written. Absolutely. But I think Paul is very clear to differentiate prophecy from teaching and preaching. With the prime differentiator being that prophecy is born out of revelation, whereas preaching and teaching is based on a passage of scripture. If you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, we'll see this. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all learn one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Now Steve will be preaching on this passage in a couple of weeks so I don't want to kind of steal too much of what he's going to say. Uh, But the key thing I want to highlight here is that prophecy is given based on revelation. Which of course, as it says here, as as it says here, it should be weighed primarily against scripture uh, because if a prophecy directly contradicts scripture, then we know of course that it's been misinterpreted. But like I say, the source of the prophecy is revelation. And in its verb format, the Greek word that Paul uses Apocalypto means to reveal, and it occurs 26 times uh, in the verb format, and the, the noun revelation occurs 18 times. And for anyone that instantly stops listening the moment somebody says uh, New Testament Greek, this is the important bit about that. In every single instance of those 44 times that the word apocalypto is used, it is always referring to divine activity. It's never referring to human to human communication. It is always communication from God to us. And this revelation may come in the form of maybe a thought. This revelation may come in the form of an impression or a feeling. It could even come in the form of a prompting to read a particular scripture. But in all instances, it's revealed by God. 
Okay, let's turn back to the passage and pick up from verse 2, and we'll read again through verse 5. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Okay, so what we see here before talking about the importance of prophecy as a spiritual gift is that in the second verse and then again in the fourth verse and in the fifth verse, Paul is very deliberately comparing the gift of prophecy of which he's very clearly uh, extolling the virtues of with the gift of tongues. That is the gift of speaking unknown languages given by God which to say the least he appears to be speaking in far less glowing terms about. And it can actually leave us wondering, well, should we conclude then from this passage, from verses 2, 4, and 5, that the gift of tongues is one that should be avoided for us? Well, the simple answer is no. This is not the correct conclusion. And again, Steve will be looking in greater depth at this next week, so I'll be fairly brief. But I think it's worth addressing this as it's clearly a question raised by the passage. Now, one of the reasons that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth is to address a number of areas of disunity within the church, with one of these seemingly being the use of uninterpreted tongues in the corporate gathering. And indeed, later in the chapter, Paul is strongly encouraging worship times to be orderly and to be in keeping with a God of peace, suggesting perhaps that this was an issue with people pouring forth with whatever they wanted, be it intelligible or otherwise. Which is why we see here Paul discouraging the use of tongues in this way. But it's really important to see that the comparison that Paul is making here is not a straight comparison between prophecy and the gift of tongues. He is making a comparison between prophecy And firstly, the gift of uninterpreted tongues. Secondly, uninterpreted tongues in the context of the corporate gathering of the church. And as we see here, prophecy is greater than uninterpreted tongues because it serves to build up the church. And I'll I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that in a minute. But it's worth noting that whilst Paul does not say, sorry, whilst Paul does say that uninterpreted tongues are intelligible, that is not the same thing as saying uninterpreted tongues are bad. Because he also says that speaking in tongues is a way of speaking to God. I think the, the other way we put that is, it's a way of praying. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And as a type of prayer, therefore, it can build us up as individuals, which is, of course, still a very good thing when done as part of our private devotions. Indeed, this is of such value that Paul even says in verse 5 that he wants everyone 
to speak in tongues. More than this, Paul goes on to make it clear, again in in verse five, that if there is an interpretation of tongues when used in a corporate setting, that this gift can function in the same way that prophecy does, in that it can build up other believers, it can build up the church. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church can be built up. This is huge because what Paul is saying here throughout verses two, four, and five in reference to the gift of tongues is three things. Firstly, uninterpreted tongues in the corporate worship setting. So for us, Friday mornings, avoid it. Little value. Don't do it. There's more valuable things we can be doing. Uninterpreted tongues in your own private worship This is a good thing. In fact, this is more than good. It's a way of praying to God. It's a way of being built up in your faith. Who wouldn't want to do this? He even says, I want you all to do this. Now, I want to be really clear here so that we don't misunderstand this. He is not commanding everybody to speak in tongues. He highlights this in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, not all people do but it's such a good gift that Paul desires that all people could. And then number three, he says, interpreted tongues in the corporate worship setting, yes, yes, and yes again. This is equal to prophecy. Which I think brings us to the question, what is so special about prophecy? Why does Paul emphasize it so strongly here? Why is he encouraging us to desire this gift above other spiritual gifts that God gives? And sometimes I think we can be prone to speculate in this area. We can maybe think, excuse me, that prophecy is important because of its supernatural element that it somehow prophecy shows God off to be powerful. Perhaps maybe we think, well prophecy, that, that shows that I have power in God. But when you think about it, this doesn't really align with God's modus operandi, does it? Jesus took on weakness to show the power of God. He defeated death by going to the cross. As we read at the start of 1 Corinthians, he, used what is, he uses what is foolish and what is weak to shame the strong. It hardly stands to reason that the gift of prophecy is used primarily for the purpose of showing off the power of God. Now just to clarify, God can and he does demonstrate his power through prophecy. And people are convicted of their sin, people turn to him as a result of this. But as we'll see, when we read the passage carefully, this is not the primary purpose of prophecy to show the strength of God and to show the strength that we can have through God. Rather, we see the reason that Paul puts such emphasis on prophecy in verse three. It says this, on the other hand, that is he's comparing prophecy to um, uninterpreted tongues. On the other hand, 
the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This is why Paul places such emphasis on the gift of prophecy. Firstly, because prophecy builds others up. Secondly, because prophecy encourages others. And thirdly, because prophecy brings consolation. So let's look at each of these in turn. Firstly, prophecy is important because, as, as we've just read, it builds others up. And another translation, the translation used in the NIV is that it edifies others, which is defined as enabling the growth of Christian wisdom, happiness, and holiness. So that's what it means. When it says building up, it enables the growth of Christian wisdom, happiness, and holiness. In other words, what it's saying is prophecy makes us more like Jesus because of course he was the wisest, happiest, holiest person ever to walk the earth. And of course, when we are most like Jesus, we are most glorifying to God. It's when we bring him the most glory, which should be the goal of all of us who call ourselves Christians here this morning. And there's this kind of virtuous circle that begins to appear, isn't it? Because as God is most glorified in us, we are made wiser and happier and holier, which brings him even more glory. Not only this, as we are built up in these ways, as we more strongly reflect the light of Jesus, we are more empowered to carry out his mission to the world here in Abu Dhabi, in the lives of our friends and loved ones. So this is the first reason that we are given prophecy, so that we can be built up to bring glory to Jesus and to carry out his kingdom building mission. That's a good reason. Secondly, prophecy holds such an important place because of the encouragement that it can bring. Now, I think we've got maybe 300 people in this room. I don't know if anyone's done a count. 300-ish people in this room. Let's, let's say there's 300 people in this room. Now, I would imagine in a group this big, maybe one-third could do with some encouragement. Based on kind of how I generally feel, one third of the time I feel I could do with some encouragement. So let's say in this room, there's a hundred people in need of encouragement. I know that's not scientific, but go with me. Maybe you're struggling with a trial. Maybe you're being defeated time and time and time and time again by the same temptation. Whatever it is, you are feeling weary of battling. You're in desperate need of encouragement. And you're doing all the right things. You're reading your Bible, you're plugging yourself into God, you're worshiping, you are praying, but still you feel discouraged. You're even, you're going to home group, you're receiving encouragement, you're receiving prayer, you're sharing your burdens, but the next day you wake up and you still feel the struggle goes on. The encouragement from your church family is amazing but it feels somehow it can only sustain you for so long. Because the truths that you're reading about, the truths that you're hearing about, they seem to be making perfect sense in your head, but somehow they're not connecting in your spirit. You're longing to hear directly from God. You want God 
to encourage. You want Jesus to encourage you. And this is another important reason for prophecy. We are designed to be in relationship with Jesus. This is the very purpose for which we were created, to be in this relationship and to glorify him. So to hear from him in times of trial, in times of temptation, is so encouraging. Now, just to share a personal example with you, um, from about 11 years ago, um, Tasha and I, we'd been trying for children for, for quite some time, and the situation wasn't looking good. Uh, without going into the full medical details of it, uh, we had undergone tests, and, and the truth was both of us had uh, uh, conception issues, sorry, conception issues, had issues that would make conception difficult, <laughs> to say the least. Now, despite being aware of this, a friend of ours was given a prophetic picture by God that our house would one day be a lively one full of dark-haired, spirited children. Now, at the time of receiving this, it actually seemed really unlikely. So in doing this, what our friend did was she took a risk. She weighed it and she prayed about it before sharing it with us. And she was careful when she did so not to, to, to make promises, but she was being honest with what she felt God was putting on our heart. Which, and I must stress, this is really important. As we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, we know in part, we prophesy in part. There is a chance that we misinterpret the revelation that God is giving to us. Now, I wanna be really clear, this is always our error in our interpretation. It's never the error of God in his revelation. So as we share prophecy, we must do so in a way that is prayerful and in a way that is sensitive, so as not to end up actually causing more damage and causing discouragement. But we were, and we are, so thankful that she did share this, because as anyone who has ever visited us will agree, our house is now, well, we've got two uh, dark-haired, spirited children. We've got a mousy brown one thrown in for good luck. Um, and I actually once shared this story in, in our church in the UK. Um, and at the time, we only had two children. And, and I said, two children does constitute a full house. Two weeks later, we discovered that Tash was pregnant. This time, I'm not joking, we have a full house. Now this was really encouraging to us at the time we received uh, the prophecy. We were, of course, we were cautious. We held on to it lightly, but we held on to it. We felt that God had spoken to us. At the same time, of course, so we recognized that Jesus is our all-satisfying treasure. He is the giver of gifts. He's who we treasure, but we were, we were grateful for this gift of prophecy. But in many ways, it's even more encouraging now as we look back and we see the fulfillment over this prophecy. And we see that once again, God is faithful and that he can and he does provide for us at the perfect time. So this is the second reason that Paul classes prophecy as being of such significance, because it encourages those that, it bring, those that it's brought to. And then thirdly, prophecy is so key because it allows God to console others through us. Now, some of us here are going through or maybe have been through 
such uniquely difficult circumstances that actually we find it difficult to believe that anybody could really understand how we feel. And I'm sure some of you will be able to connect with what I'm, I'm about to say. There's something extremely comforting, isn't there? When, when you're going through something like this, in many ways it's, it's a relief when we meet somebody that is suffering or has suffered in, in the same way that, that we are. And particularly, if that person has got through the other side of that suffering, it brings us hope. It brings us hope that actually there is a greater future, that there's, there's light at the end of a tunnel. And of course, there is one who has suffered more than any other throughout the course of history. That one is Jesus. In going to the cross, in suffering, in dying for our sins, Jesus' suffering is not just greater than ours. Jesus' suffering is greater than we could possibly imagine. More than this, when we meet somebody who can, who can share, I've been through that, that gives us some hope, doesn't it? The hope that Jesus gives is a sure and eternal hope of future resurrection life with him. It's not just a small amount of hope. It is all the hope you could possibly imagine. So, of course, when I offer you comfort in a situation, maybe that I've got some experience of, and I've got through the other side, this brings some consolation. But it pales into near insignificance to the consolation that Jesus can provide as he speaks to us through prophecy. Imagine that, you're praying, Jesus, I'm going through this heartbreak, I'm going through this pain or this anxiety, I need you to speak to me. And then somebody brings a prophetic word from Jesus and it speaks into your situation. Imagine that. Does it make the pain go away? Maybe, maybe not. Does it bring great consolation to know that the one who has suffered more than we can imagine for our good is able to sympathize and bring you comfort? It should do. So this is why prophecy is important. This is why we should be earnestly desiring it, for our encouragement, for our consolation, and for our upbuilding as individuals and as a body. Ultimately, it's for the glory of Jesus, for bringing glory to Jesus. So I guess it's a good time now to ask ourselves the question, am I earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy? Because I think the answer for a number of us is probably no. And it's not just that we're not desiring it for ourselves, maybe we're even thinking, I don't even want spiritual gifts to be exercised in, in Grace Church. I'm, I'm resistant to that whole idea. Because undoubtedly, some of us would have experienced spiritual gifts exercised in a way that is unbiblical and certainly in a way that is unhelpful. Maybe you've spent time watching a televangelist getting very rich from exercising so-called spiritual gifts. Or maybe you yourself have been manipulated or hurt in a church where these things have been practiced in a way that is just not biblical. Sadly, this is not uncommon. And indeed, this is the situation that we see in the church of Corinth. 
Paul is writing this letter of instruction to the church, amongst other reasons, because spiritual gifts are clearly not being exercised in a way that is godly and appropriate. Yet despite this, Paul's advice is not the advice that we would imagine he should give, is it? We imagine Paul's logic to be like our own, don't we? When I go to the beach with my children and I give them spades and they're supposed to kind of dig out holes and build castles, what inevitably happens is they end up beating each other over the head with the spades and the kind of scene always ends up with me hollering and shouting at them, if you can't use the gifts I've given you responsibly, just give them back. And I take all the spades back and no more spades. And we imagine... That may be Paul's response to the church in Corinth. Right, that's it, stop it. You're not using these spiritual gifts correctly. Give them back. You're clearly not mature enough to use them yet. But peculiarly, by our way of thinking, he doesn't do this. What he does is quite strange, isn't it? He encourages them to press further in to the things of the Spirit. He says, earnestly desire them but in a way that is biblical. Because the problem in the church of Corinth, the problem in many churches today, is not a result of using spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are from God. And they are gifts. Just as when I give Tash a gift, God expects us to use them. And as we've read this morning, they are given for the purpose of building up and encouraging and consoling the church. So we must, of course, be extremely diligent to deal with any immaturity that causes these gifts to be exercised unwisely. This is really important. And we must teach into error that comes from uh, excessive zeal and these gifts being used unwisely because people are just too zealous for the gift and not the giver. Of course, all things must be weighed against Scripture. But equally, we must never quench the work of the Spirit. Because if we do that, then we are robbing our church and ourselves and the community within which we're based of blessing. Worse than this, if we quench the work of the Spirit, we are robbing Jesus of glory. It's that important. And I don't want to minimize how difficult this may be for many of us for a number of different reasons. Indeed, my own personal inclination is never by nature towards the supernatural. I love the Bible. It's black, it's white, it's kind of, it's really clear, it's God's word, it's inerrant, and it is sufficient. It's kind of, it's nice and clear. Spiritual gifts such as prophecy, whilst entirely from God, they come through earthen vessels. And they can leave us thinking, well, they come through a filter of interpretation. It's a bit more difficult. I'm not sure I like this. And that this lack of surety could leave me feeling uneasy. It's not simple, the area of spiritual gifts. It requires caution and we have to work through things. Maybe it's easier if we just stick with the Bible because it's so simple. But of course, when I'm thinking like this, my logic is hugely, hugely flawed. As I've looked at this morning, the Bible teaches us that we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So if I want to just stick with the Bible, then I have to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, regardless of whether this is my inclination or not. This couldn't be more black and white. 
His desire for us is to pursue love and to pursue spiritual gifts out of a longing for others in the church to be built up, encouraged, and consoled. And because his desire for us is good and pleasing and perfect, we can do safe in the knowledge that is for our own good. More than this, we can do this knowing that it is all for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your lavish grace that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would even bring us into a place of salvation whereby we can enter the throne room forgiven, righteous, made clean. And Lord Jesus, we long for more of you. We long for that encouragement. We long for consolation. We long to be built up as a church so that we can see you glorified in this place amongst us throughout Abu Dhabi, our friends and families around the world, Lord. We long to see you glorified in every area of our life. So we pray that you would pour out your gifts upon us and Lord Jesus, help us to work through and be obedient in your calling. In Jesus' name.